0: Good morning everyone. It's good to see you all. My name's Grant if we haven't met before and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we actually weren't here last week. We were at Red Point in Pinetown. Marcus, thank you so much, man. Uh, we were at Red Point in Pinetown. It was really, really cool to be there and just to be preaching with the guys that side. And we'll probably be getting together and having another together Sunday with all those guys on the 6th of March at the beginning of next year. But if you are new, if it's your first time here, welcome. It's nice to see some different faces and some new faces. I was trying to work out if I should mention people or not. But it was Brett's 60th birthday on Tuesday. I think it's a pretty big milestone. So big congratulations to you. Um, I did see that we've got a, a star here with some beautiful pierced ears. So if you can spot him afterwards, he's looking very, very good not happy with that. It's just good to have you here if you're new. It's good to have the Dells here from England. They were part of the crew that started this church two years ago, and it's amazing to have you here with us for the first time at Glenwood Prep School out from England at the moment. Uh, Good to have some guys here from another church just down the road joining us this morning. So if you're here visiting, wonderful to have you here, and I really do trust God will meet with us and speak to us today. We're into the third part of our All in Wonder series, and what we're wanting to do over a few weeks is to spend some time going through the book of Psalms, and I guess opening our eyes in a new way to the reality of who God is and what he's like, we're really praying and trusting that God would open our eyes to see God more and more, to know him and develop a greater hunger for him. That's kind of why Kimmy's done the table like this today. We're gonna to do communion at the end, and you're welcome to grab some cheese and grapes and whatever else before or after communion. But she just wanted me to make sure you know communion's more the bread and the wine kind of part of it all. But we wanna do we do want to celebrate God together and we wanna feast on him and we wanna grow in hunger for him and we wanna to come to know him and enjoy him more and more as a community. And one of my um, prayers and one of the things I trust is that there would be a culture of knowing God and walking with God and living by faith in this church that would grow more and more over time. But what I want to do today is we're, we're speaking about knowing God, and we're speaking about developing a hunger for God, and I want to look a little bit today at one of the spiritual realities we will all face as Christians in our lives as we walk with Jesus. It's a time when you feel spiritually dry, or a time when you feel far from God, and it is something all of us will go through at points in our lives. Maybe you're in that place today. Maybe you're in a place where you feel tired, drained, far from God, discouraged, despondent. You don't know what's going on inside of yourself, but you're probably a bit discouraged by it. Maybe you're a new Christian and you've never experienced this before. You're on a bit of a surreal high about knowing Jesus, and you're so excited about Him. You're so excited about the faith. I just want to warn you up front, and maybe this morning's message would warn you up front, that there will be some difficult moments ahead. There will be some moments where God does feel far away, but where God does still love you nonetheless. So if you can turn to Psalm 42 in your Bible, otherwise it will pop up on the screen behind me here and we can follow along. We'll read it through together. This is a song that is written by the sons of Korah. You'll probably see that as you turn there as we read through it. And the Sons of Korah is a really, really great worship band name, and that's what they were. The Sons of Korah were a worship band, kind of like Matt and the guys leading us in worship today. They would lead worship in the house of God. They were professional musicians in the temple in Jerusalem back in the day. And one of the guys is writing a psalm about one of his experiences, an experience of spiritual dryness and expressing and pouring out his heart before God. So let's go through these 11 verses together. And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And in this psalm, we see the writer is going through a real period of spiritual thirst, of spiritual hunger. And this is an intense thing. This isn't a minor thing. That he's going through I mean if you see the language that he uses throughout the psalm he talks about an emotional turmoil inside of himself he's crying in the psalm he's eating his tears that's what he talks about he describes his soul as being downcast and in turmoil he talks about how distant God feels and the fact that he feels forgotten by God I think he feels abandoned by God he's questioning God's love to him in this period it's a really big moment of questioning and asking what is going on at the moment for this man But despite how the writer feels in this moment, he does still cling to what is true. And he reminds himself of some of the truths that he knows about what God is really like. That God is alive, that God is his salvation, that God is his rock. He reminds himself that God is his hope and the real satisfaction for the thirst that he feels inside of his soul. He reminds reminds himself of God's incredible unconditional love as he laments his circumstances. He's not enjoying the moment he's going through in his life. It's difficult, it's tough, he feels turned upside down, but he's seeking God, the God he knows about, the God who is living, and the God who he's encountered before. The big idea of the psalm is the answer to the question, what do we do when God feels far away? What do we do when we're in a spiritual dry place and where we can't feel God? And the writer answers and starts like this. He says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And if you're like me, I went to Clouffe Junior, Senior, and High School. And I think through most of those schools and assemblies, I don't know if they still sing these songs in assemblies, we would sing the song, as the deer panteth for the, I don't know why we sung Panteth in 1993 when I was in school, but we sung it. And I remember that song, and I remember the imagery that went through my mind as someone like trying to visualize and get inside the mind of the psalmist or the deer or whatever's going on. You've got this picture in your mind of a deer panting. This deer's got his tongue out, and he's... <laughs> He's lapping and he's panting and he's desperate for water. He's really, really thirsty. He's kind of like a dog. You can see him like this dog limping towards the water, desperate for a drink. And I have this dog, well, my parents have this dog named Lucy, who is a panther. She's a real pavement special that we got from the SPCA. And back in the day, I would be in the pool during the hot summer days, and Lucy would come and drop her ball right on the edge, would often fall in, and I would throw the ball for Lucy. And Lucy would chase after the ball, bottom of the garden and back, I'd throw it again. This would go on and on for like 10 minutes. Throw the ball. She'd run and fetch it. She'd bring it back until she overheated. And this little dog, covered in fur in the heat of the day, running back and forth, li- like literally this ball is the idol of this poor dog's life, chasing after this ball, bring it back to me, eventually just hit the wall, tongue out, panting, and would lie in the shade to cool off and recharge for about 10 minutes. And then she was back at the edge of the pool, dropping her ball, wanted to go again. That's the thing I've got in mind. As I read Psalm 42. But my very intelligent friend Shane Cadman told me this week the deer, or we're South Africans, buck don't pant. You've never watched a National Geographic show uh, narrated by David Attenborough, this beautiful English voice coming through, and you see the buck come onto the screen and its tongue is out and it's panting as it walks to the riverbed. You never ever see that. And the point here is that the is not trying to say that the deer is thirsty. The rider is trying to say that the deer is actually on the brink of death. This deer is desperate for water, is desperate to be refreshed, is desperate for the satisfaction that comes from that riverbed. And the picture is of this deer who knows where the water is, coming out of the forest or the jungle wherever you want to picture the situation, coming out panting, but knowing where the water is, knowing where this clear, cool, refreshing water is that it can drink and lap up and be refreshed by. And as it comes out and goes down to the riverbed, it finds the bed is dry. And this deer who knows where to get its source of refreshing from is all of a sudden in panic mode. Where do I find water? This is a dangerous situation. I am going to die. And the psalmist is comparing us to the deer. And is saying, like that deer, my soul is thirsting for God. But in this situation, as I come to God, I find him like a dry riverbed. As I approach God in prayer, in worship, joining the congregation of God's people on a Sunday, as I come together, I feel like that dear finding the riverbed dry. I'm not getting anything out of God. I'm not getting anything out of prayer. I'm not getting anything out of worship. I'm not getting anything out of the Bible as I read it. I'm not getting anything out of Life Group on Tuesday nights. I'm not getting anything out of joining everyone together on a Sunday morning. I'm not getting anything out of it. I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling God. I'm not sensing Him. I'm not finding Him. I'm not finding anything. And in psalm 42 verse 2 we read my soul thirsts for god for the living god when shall i come and appear before god and like that deer like that buck this writer is desperate desperate for the refreshing and satisfaction that he knows he can only find inside of god and i was thinking about myself and i was trying to think of the most thirsty i've ever been in my life and maybe you should just take a moment think about the thirstiest you've been your panting moments None of mine have been that intense. You know, I thought about it, I thought, okay, I used to skateboard a lot, beachfront, skating, hot, dehydrated, sweating, tired, but there was a tap right there, you know. If we were too hot, we could go, we could go to the tap, we could refresh. If I go for a run this week, I'm sure I'll sweat a lot, I'm not the fittest guy. Run, sweat, tired, but I'll come home And I'll turn on the tap and I'll pour myself some water or, you know, I can just go into the fridge and grab something. If there's a problem there, I can go to the shop. I'm never going to be in the situation of this deer where it's on the verge of death because of how thirsty and dehydrated it's been. And to us, you know, if we are thirsty, it's an inconvenience. It's not really a big deal. I was thinking of load shedding, you know, like sometimes the power is out. We don't have power. But actually, we just carry on with life. It's an inconvenience, but we're fine. And as I read about what's happening on the north coast, and it seems like in Joburg now, with water rationing and restrictions and everything, we might get to that point where we don't have as much water on tap all the time. But you know what? It's fine. We'll make it through. It's an inconvenience. But we'll do something. We'll survive, you know. But what the psalmist is saying here isn't that when he gets to this place, it's an inconvenience. And if that's you today, you feel far from God, You feel dry you feel tired spiritually we shouldn't go you know i came on sunday and it's i didn't get anything out of it i didn't feel god you know the preacher didn't say anything that hit my heart inconvenience you know god i'm making time for you but you're not delivering you're not providing the stuff that i need that's not what the psalmist is trying to say here it's not like the convenience of tap or shop or fridge he's actually saying it's not a convenience issue it's a life or death matter he is coming to God desperate in need of more of him. And if he doesn't get it, he's like, I'm on the brink of spiritual death. And this is where it starts to get interesting. The writer who is so dry and so thirsty and so in need of God also says in verse 4, really interestingly, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. So there's two pictures now which are in our minds. The one is of this dear panting. <laughs> And the other picture we've got is of him pouring out his soul. So in one um, image, he's saying, I'm completely dry. I'm bone dry. I'm desperate for the refreshing of God. But in the other image, he's waterlogged. He's too full. And he needs to pour out the stuff that's inside of him before God. So we've kind of got this really interesting paradox of the two pictures playing side by side there. And I want to just explore that a little bit more. Why is he panting and pouring? Why is he dry and saturated? And I think the reality of what's going on inside this person is that he's spiritually numb. This person probably has a busy life, lots going on, lots on their mind, lots on their plate, lots of balls that they're juggling, lots of things that they're involved in, maybe stress, strain, ambition, weight on their shoulders, responsibilities, a lot of things on their mind, and all of that stuff is filling them up filling up their mind space, filling up their heart space, filling up their soul space, so that there's actually no room for anything else. And this guy is coming to God absolutely dry and empty of God. There's none of that life-giving water and refreshing that a soul so needs. But at the same time, he's completely saturated, waterlogged full of all the wrong stuff, of all the stuff in life that is actually filling him up so he has no room for God And the first step that he needs to take to go forward is to pour out his soul before God. David and some of the other psalm writers would probably call this a lament. He's got to come to God and he's got to pour all of the junk and gunge and things that fills up all of the spaces inside of himself. He's got to pour it out that he could make room to be filled and refreshed in God. And I want to encourage you, if this is you and you're in this space, don't give up. You know what can happen is you just go, well, I'm going through the motions as I've said already. I I come on Sundays, I go on Tuesdays, I'm making time to pray and read my Bible and sing songs to God. I'm speaking about all of this stuff, but nothing is happening. I don't sense God, I'm not getting anything out of God, so I'm just going to stop. And I want to encourage you to be like the psalmist, like the son of Korah, and don't stop. Keep going. Because if you've noticed, this psalm here is a prayer. It's a prayer of him pouring out his stuff before God. He's writing this all down to God, and he's saying, God, I feel like you've forgotten me. God, I feel like you're far away. God, I feel dry. God, I feel saturated. God, there's too much going on. He doesn't give up on God. You know, even though the experience of God, the reality of knowing God, of hearing God's voice, of feeling God's closeness, has maybe been months since he's experienced that. He hasn't given up on God. And if you're in that place today, I want to encourage you to be like the psalmist. Go to God with your problems. Go to God with your soul troubles. Go to God with the things on your mind. Go to God with your dryness. If you miss God, tell him that. Tell him, God, I miss your presence. I don't feel you. I haven't heard your voice. I'm going through the motions. I don't understand this. I'm confused. I don't feel your love. But this guy here doesn't stop believing in God. He just stops experiencing the reality of God's presence in his life. And if this is you and you feel like this is the place you're at, I want to encourage you to be like the psalmist. Don't go to your friend or your spouse or your life group leader or one of the pastors here and pour out your soul. Go to God. It might be good to speak to someone and tell them what's on your mind and on your heart, but go to God and pour this stuff out to Him. Share this stuff with Him and let Him meet you in the place that you're at. And if this is you today, I want to ask you, who are you going to? And what are you doing about the situation you find yourself in? Don't be passive. Don't stop. Don't withdraw. Engage God on all of this stuff. And probably an important thing to say here is that every Christian will go through this at some point in their walks with God. probably happened to me a number of times, even six months periods of feeling something of this dryness and this questioning of where is God? It's just a reality of the life, the spiritual life that we live in. But what I find so interesting here is that the psalmist in Psalm 42 never repents and never speaks about his guilt. It's interesting. It's like he has done nothing wrong to be in this place. Or well, he never confesses it. You know, he hasn't done something. He hasn't sinned in a way that separates him from God. He doesn't seem to have distracted himself in a way that he's walked away from God. There's nothing from his side that he's done that has brought this on. So he has no reason to feel guilt. He has no reason to feel unworthy. He has no reason to feel unloved. And if you're in this place today, don't feel like God has withdrawn His love from you. Don't feel that you're unworthy. Don't feel you've done something wrong. But pour out your heart. Pour out your soul before God and let him refill you. Maybe rather than doing something wrong, this guy has just allowed himself to be filled with all the wrong things. Filled with worries, with busyness, with stress, with the realities of life. He's just full of other stuff. And if I can just touch on this one more time, maybe this morning you need to pour out your soul before God. Lament, get all of the stuff out and lay it on him that he could take it from you and carry it. If you're not feeling it if you're not spiritually jaded if there's no fresh spiritual water in your life if you're too busy and I I really think busyness is one of the scourges of our time I think you know whenever you talk to someone you're like hey how's it going I'm busy and you would feel really guilty to reply and say well I'm just relaxed man how's it going so at peace so chilled works fine Family's fine Everything is really relaxed. I would feel guilty to say that to some people, you know. Some people, you say, "How's it going?" They go, "Sure, so busy." eh?" And the guy replies, "I wish I had your life. I wish I was busy like that." You would not. I've been through hell this week. You know, it's like a competition in a sense, as we compete to see who's more busy. And here, in a sense, this person is busy. The world is pulling at them. There's so many things demanding their headspace and. Uh, overwhelming them and filling their minds and filling their hearts and just getting them down. And they need to come before God with their saturated soul and like squeeze out all of the stuff that is inside them, wring it all out, the gunge, the junk, the things that are keeping them from being filled with all of the life of God. Jesus knew this. Jesus knew about stress in the Garden of Gethsemane. We'll actually talk about it just now. Paul the Apostle talks about his stress in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 8 and 9. He says, we are hard pressed on every side. Who feels like that today? But not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. And I'm sure there are a number of us who could maybe relate to something of that. Hard pressed on every side. Yeah, that sounds like my life at the moment. But there's a beautiful offer that Psalm 42 is making, and it's the offer to come to God with your stuff and to pour it out on him. 1 Peter 5 verse seven says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And maybe as we worship at the end, you need to come before God and cast your anxieties on him because he cares about you. To take the burdens on your life, the things that are saturating your soul, the things that are troubling you and give them over to God he could carry those burdens because he is the great high priest of our faith he cares about us more than we care about ourselves he cares about us more than our spouses or friends or family do he is the one who loves us and is there to carry all of our burdens I don't want to forget to say this real soul emotional and spiritual health comes when we do this when we hand these things over to God and when we start to speak to ourselves about these things There's an amazing reality here in the wrestle of what is going on inside of this person, that the psalmist owns what they're going through. And in verse 6, they say, my soul is cast down in me. He owns it. This is the reality of where I'm at. He's not hiding it. He's not pretending. He's just authentic and real. This is where I'm at. My soul is full of turmoil. It's cast down. I'm troubled. There's stuff going on. But he doesn't leave it there. He doesn't just stop there. In fact, what he does is he leads his own soul and he points himself to God. He says, after he owns it, he says, therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mizar. And I want to ask you, when you feel far from God, when you feel spiritually dry and drained and depleted, what do you do? Do you stop all of the spiritual disciplines? Do you stop the church stuff? Do you stop the God stuff and just withdraw? Or do you lead your soul back to God, even though it's not feeling it? Even though you don't want it, even though you're not sensing God, do you lead yourself back to Him? Do you lead your feelings? And do you tell yourself and remind yourself what's true? And probably the biggest question mark I had as I went through this psalm, and as I was looking at Psalm 42, is the next little part of this verse. Where we see that the writer is remembering God from Jordan, Hermon, and Mount Mazar. Have any of you holidayed there before? Been to any of those places? Not even one person. Sounds like a horrible place from everything I read. Rocky, mountainous, deserty. So pick somewhere else for your next holiday. But the writer is writing from those places, and it's significant that they're there. Because he remembers in verse four and he remembers in verse six when he was close to God. When he was living in Jerusalem, when he was living in the south of Israel, right by the temple, right where God and the people of God were. And he was leading worship like Matt did today. He was leading the people of God to sing to God and praise God and pray and enjoy God together. He's reminiscing and remembering those times. And he's saying, ah, what beautiful days those were. But now he's far up north. He's in the desert he's in the mountains he's separated from the temple where God's presence is he's separated from the people of God he's not leading anymore and I'm not sure if this is a geographical thing if he's really moved or if this is more of a metaphor like in his heart he's moved in his heart he's far away from the place he used to be in his heart he's not at that same place of intimacy I don't know I couldn't find the answer but let's pitch both of those towards us and I thought maybe you're here today And you feel like this guy because you know what it's like to be part of the community of God. You know what it's like to be in the church. You know what it's like to be following Jesus closely. But actually you've drifted and you've been out of the church for a long time. I don't know if that's your story here today. But I think God is speaking to us through Psalm 42. And he's saying, come home. Now's the time to come home. Now's the time to draw near. Now's the time to come back to God and to come back to his community. And the other thing that could be a question is maybe you're part of this church. You're part of Red Point Durban. You're here all the time. You're involved in the things that are going on. But it's not a geographical reality. It's a cardiographical reality. It's a heart thing. And your heart has drifted far from God. Your heart has drifted far from the realities of this community. Maybe there's an offense. Maybe there's something that's gotten in there. And there's a distance that is drawing and growing. And I think today through Psalm 42, God's saying we need to deal with that stuff. Let's lay it down. Let's take it to God. Let's pour it out on him. Let's come close again. Come home. I think God is saying, come home to all of us today. We can't do the Christian life alone. We need the family of God's people to live out our faith. In fact, I read yesterday, the New Testament has 59 one another commands. So you can't do church home alone, just you and the wife, you and the kids. We need a community of people so that we can live out the one another's of the scripture, so that we can live out the ways of Jesus, so that we can be scratchy with one another, learn what not to do from one another, but also teach each other God's ways and inspire and set one another an example of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Christianity is a team sport, or maybe better, Christianity is a family sport. And we need to learn to grow and live out our family within the family of God's church. He reminisces and remembers the good old days leading god's people when he was close to god in jerusalem before he moved out to all of those other places and he longs for that intimacy he longs for that closeness with god again so his first step is he pours out his soul before god the next two things that he does is he listens to his soul and then he talks to his soul firstly he listens to his soul in verse 5 and 11. We read two why questions. I think it's quite interesting. He asks himself the question why four times in the psalm, and he asks God the question why twice. Maybe if you're questioning God here today, I think it's good. Ask questions, get answers, seek God in the process, but maybe ask more questions of yourself than you do of God. And here in verse 5 and 11, it says, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? And the psalmist here is like investigating. He's doing some CSI on his soul, and he's checking out what's going on inside of himself. He's interrogating himself. He's asking himself some of the hard questions of life. Why is this going on? What is happening? Why do you feel this way? And maybe if you feel far from God and you feel that you're in a dry place, we need to start with a little bit of soul interrogation, and we need to seek God and say, God, what is going on inside of me? Why is it that I'm, what is robbing my joy? Why is it that my life is saturated? Why is it that I feel so spiritually dry? Is it busyness or stress or anxiety, wrong priorities, distractions, sin? Is it other objects of worship or idols? Is it something I'm doing? Or is this just something that I'm going through? And the psalmist gets really real and asks himself some serious questions. But he doesn't ask himself questions alone. There's also an adversary or an enemy, someone who seems to be questioning him and who asks the question a number of times, where is your God? And I think like those questions are real. That could be a friend or a family member or a co-worker who's firing some tricky questions, saying stuff like, you always tell me about how good and loving your God is, but you're in this difficult place and God feels far. Maybe he's not real. Maybe the experiences you felt before were just that feelings, but they're not real. Maybe your God doesn't exist. Maybe he's got an adversary like that at work, in his family, at home, wherever it might be. But I think more likely, this is something of his internal dialogue. This is the person speaking to themselves and questioning themselves and uncertain of themselves. Because those kinds of questions are the kind of questions that pop up in my head and in my heart at times. Why is this going on? Is this really true? If God, then why? You know, all of those things. And i think maybe the greatest enemy that this writer is facing is either self-doubt or maybe it's the devil speaking to them and they've got these internal voices this dialogue inside of themselves that they need to quieten down and they need to speak the truths of who god is to. and after listening to our souls and interrogating and asking some questions we need to start speaking to ourselves And you might be sitting here saying, is this what Christians really believe? We should talk to ourselves. Isn't that the first step towards madness, talking to yourself? I want to say, like I said earlier, one of the best steps towards emotional and spiritual health is to speak to ourselves, to speak to our emotions, to speak to our inner world, to speak to and lead ourselves. I've got these two killer quotes from a Welsh preacher named Martin Lloyd-Jones who can be really helpful here. He says, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. He goes on again and he says, The main art, the main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. And I know I've said a few times we need to preach to ourselves here, and that might sound a little bit weird to you. You think, man, you don't preach to yourself. He's a preacher. He thinks everything's about preaching, you know? But we do do this all of the time. We motivate ourselves all of the time. Some of us demotivate ourselves all of the time. You know, either we encourage ourselves, Grant, you can do this. It's going to be a good day. Come on, let's have a good week. Or maybe you're going, sheesh, you know, no one loves me. Life is meaningless. I'm useless. I'm never going to get anywhere. Can I ask you to be kind to yourself with your inner voice? Can I be. Can i ask you today to be kind to yourself with the things that you let yourself think and the things that you speak to yourself about and i've told this church so i've gone on record saying that i've started boxing recently three weeks in james jerry's not here today but he's come and join me recently and um some weeks i'm better than him some weeks he's better than me but it's been good to learn and while i'm boxing i have to preach to myself sometimes this guy elrich who's training us is talking and i'm going Come on, Grant, one minute, you can do this, you can do this. Come on, 30 seconds, you can do this. Come on, you'll have a break later. Come on, no pain, no gain, you know? And Elrich does the same thing. In fact, one of the things Elrich preached to me to encourage me is he said, Grant, you've been a very naughty boy for a very long time. (laughs) He's preaching to me, change, transform. And in that gym, as we train and as we box, there's about 30 sermons written up on the wall all of these motivational quotes to work harder and try more and do the things that we need to do. So I thought I'd share it with you, two of my favorite. The first is this, sweat is fat crying. (laughs) And the second one is pain is weakness leaving the body. I love those two things. So as I'm lying there, weeping on the floor, those are the things I'm reading on the, come on, you can go. And as we preach to ourselves when we exercise and as we work and as we go through life, we motivate and encourage or discourage ourselves. The psalmist preaches to himself about what God is calling him to. Verse 11 of Psalm 42, he says, Why are you cast down on my soul and why are you in turmoil within me? And then he preaches hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And this is, he commits one of the heresies of our day is that he doesn't just, he's not true to himself. He doesn't just listen to his feelings and his emotions and go with the flow of what he wants and desires, how he feels. In fact, he tells himself to be quiet, he preaches to himself, and he points himself to God again. I think there's a huge lesson that we need to learn there. And I want to say that feelings are wonderful servants, but horrible taskmasters probably heard that before. I think Voltaire said that or something. But I think that's like a really helpful quote for us because feelings serve us well. We know when we're angry, okay, something's wrong. When we're sad, something's wrong. But if they rule our lives, they can make our lives miserable. We need to lead our emotions and we need to point ourselves to God. And Psalm 42 teaches us that we can actually train our souls that are downcast and in turmoil to hope in God, to go from turmoil to hope. My last point today is just on refreshing and the gospel. And we see this person who's filled with soul trouble comes to a place of pouring out themselves before God, of listening to themselves, of speaking to themselves, and now of being empty of everything and being in a place where they can meet with God and be filled with and refreshed by the refreshing that only comes from Him. And we see that from verse 1, the dry riverbed has become roaring waterfalls and crashing waves of refreshing. That is a big change that is going on in this person's life. And as I read through Psalm 42, there was one uh, passage from the New Testament that just kept coming back to me. It was out of John chapter 4. And it's that moment where Jesus meets the lady at the well. And he meets this lady it's in the middle of the day the hottest part of the day when everyone else is relaxing and sleeping she's out then because she's a disgraced woman she's a sinful woman she's a rejected woman she's an outcast but Jesus is out there in the heat of the day and as she comes to draw the water Jesus asks her for a glass he asks her to refresh him and she offers him the water the whole situation happens and he says to her out of this beautiful part in verse 13 to 15 Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman says to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty. It's a beautiful parallel of Psalm 42. Jesus offers her the satisfaction that her soul is craving and desiring. And as we come to this passage, we've got to realize we are the deer and we are the water. We have this deep soul thirst. And we are like that woman who yeah, maybe is trying to find satisfaction in life, but she's not finding it. But Jesus is the one who can offer. And when the offer is put on the table, she says, sir, give me this water. She's desperate for it. She wants this eternal, refreshing water from God that will satisfy her soul in a deep way. And I want to say to all of us today, that offer is on the table. As Jesus offers it to her... He offers it to us this morning. If you're looking for satisfaction, if you're looking to nourish your soul, if you're looking for eternal life, if you're looking for God, Jesus offers it to us, but it's only found in him. Psalm 42 pointed me to John chapter 4, but it also pointed me to the book of Matthew and to Mark 14, where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember I mentioned that earlier? Jesus, the night before he's crucified, goes out to pray And he sweats blood. He's under huge stress. It's a huge moment for him before he dies for the sins of the world. And it's there in this moment that he quotes Psalm 42. He talks about sorrow and trouble and turmoil and feeling downcast in his soul. And he comes to God for his comfort and for his will in that moment. But there's a huge difference between our experience with Psalm 42 and Jesus' experience. Because what I'm saying to us this morning is in Psalm 42... The deer comes to the riverbed and it's dry and empty. But it points us to God who wants to satisfy us. I'm saying John chapter 4, actually the lady comes to the well and she finds satisfaction in Jesus. But Jesus, who felt thirsty on the cross, didn't get satisfied. Actually, he died thirsty so that you and I could be satisfied forever in the refreshing of God. And in the psalm, as this man writes and talks about how he feels forgotten by God, rejected by God, that God has turned his back on him. Actually, Jesus on the cross had God turn his back on him completely. He was forgotten by God. He was rejected by God. God did take his love away from him so that you and I would never have to go through that experience. God turned his back on Jesus that in him, we would never have to go through that again. And I want to say to you, if you are here today and you are in Christ and you feel like you're going through this experience, it is a normal part of the Christian walk, but you never have to worry about God's love about God's nearness and God's commitment to you. Because Jesus died of thirst, and Jesus had God turn his back on him so that we would never have to experience that again. We point Durban, that's the kind of stuff that we need to be preaching to ourselves, to motivate ourselves, to believe this stuff, that we would walk well with God. And we're about to worship now, but I want to say if each one of us took hold of these things... If each one of us owned these things, if each one of us poured out our souls before God, listened to our souls, spoke to our souls, and then allowed God to refresh us in Jesus, I think this church would look very, very different. I think our lives would look different. And if each one of us together were walking out the realities of these things, I think this community would surge forward just in the life of God in awe and wonder at how incredible he is. Our hunger for him would increase, but so would our satisfaction in him. And I want to ask, as we spend this time worshiping now, and if the band could come up. Actually, can we all just stand together? As we spend this time now worshiping together, and then taking communion together, I want to ask you to use this time to do some of these steps that Psalm 42 speaks to us about. As we sing these songs, why don't you cast your burdens onto Jesus because he cares about you? Why don't you pour out your soul before him? Why don't you empty yourself that you might be refreshed by Jesus and the rivers of living water that are inside of him? So I just want to pray for us briefly, and then Matt and the band are going to lead us. But God, we are thirsty for you today as a church. Some of us don't know you, and today we want to take steps towards you, Lord. We want to know you. Some of us are dry and feel far from you, and I pray you'd meet us where we are today. We want to repent of our sin. We want to lay that down. We want to empty ourselves of all the things that waterlog us and clog us up. We want to be empty before you, and we want to be filled with you. We want to know you. We want to enjoy you, God. So as we sing these songs, we sing them to worship you because you are worthy and beautiful. And we welcome you in this place and pray that you would meet with us and you'd fill us with peace and you'd refresh us and you'd touch us, your people, Jesus. We love you. We love you. We love you, Lord. Amen.